You're listening to the Battle of Ontario with Callum Fraser and Alec Brownscope. Welcome to the first playoff edition of the Battle of Ontario. Both teams have played one game in their respective series, and both teams have lost one in their respective series. The Toronto Maple Leafs, starting things out on the road, are currently down one nothing to the Washington, Washington Capitals, with Game 2 set to go Saturday night, 7 p.m. at the Verizon Centre in the other nation's capital. And the Ottawa Senators find themselves one down one nothing to the Boston Bruins, with home ice advantage slipping away. Graham Nichols of the Sixth Sens will join us later on in the show to, to discuss the Senators' first game and what else is to come. But for now, we're joined all the way from Peterborough, a man who has very clean teeth now, fresh off a visit from the dentist. My co-host, Alec Brownscombe, is on the line. Alec, how is your Friday going? It's going well, but i got to ask, how rattled are you that we aren't talking about a Game 1 Leafs win over the Sens right now? <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, I, I, quite a different outcome. I mean, watching that game, um, I, obviously I watched the entire Leafs game, and when they got out to a 2-0 start, it just it looked like... It was a complete switch of the narratives because the Leafs really did look like the team that wasn't nervous, and the Caps came out to a, a, a you know a start where Holtby uh, gives away. I mean, those were two brutal goals on him, weren't they? I mean, yeah, I thought the Leafs. I thought there was a lot to like from the Leafs' perspective, but you know, the, the narrative sort of early in that game is that the Caps were like nervous and they were kind of feeling the pressure. Then, but I thought they were actually kind of overconfident to start that game. I thought they. I thought they kind of thought they were going to run the Leafs over early and saw in that Marner goal that was like the dream started in a minute and a half in. They got caught with like three deep in on the four check and the Leafs caught them a couple times just kind of chipping pucks by and whatnot. And I don't think, I don't think Barry Trotz was even really bothering with matchups in that first period. I mean, they're obviously a four deep team and he was just sort of rolling them out of the door and letting Babs get kind of what he wanted and then they kind of got that wake-up call in the first and he started using his last change to his advantage a little bit more to get kind of Vetchkin away from Kadri but I thought the, the, the Caps were a lot more respectful to Leafs in the second period it sort of settled into this evenly played tight checking game and uh, the Leafs played with them I mean they, they looked prepared they weren't intimidated I mean it, given the scope of the thing so I think that's a uh, pretty positive overall. And I really want to, you know, get to every the the player that's on everyone's mind right now. Uh, what really, you know, did lead to the overtime goal uh, for Tom Wilson was Frederick Anderson's play, and he looked phenomenal throughout the game. But there were two horrendous, I mean, and I mean horrendous goals. The one where it was basically just a shot on the ice that he popped up in his own uh, chest protector and then lost it. And then obviously that overtime goal. What did you think of, and I want, I want to get your separate thoughts. So let's start with the overtime goal and that horrible goal that leads to the tying goal. That really can't happen for a goaltender in, in the playoffs, can it? No, and I mean, like, I saw some people, it was convenient to jump on Marinson there because he's the new guy in the lineup. and That made no sense to me, by the way. Like, but, none, none I mean, at all. He yeah, he shouldn't have sent the puck up the wall into, the, into traffic, but, like, we're not talking about that if Anderson just makes a short side save, yeah. right? So it's like, it's not a scoring angle. I mean, it's not a scoring position. It's a bad angle. And it's just, it's just such a, it was a difficult game to evaluate from Anderson because, you know, he helped them settle in early. I thought, and he made 41 saves. Uh, he was the star in the third period. I mean, that, that, that glove save after Backstrom sort of softed in off the rush to the back post, there was like two or three, 10 bellers in that third period by him. And then that third goal, that was just has to be stopped. And same with the, I mean, sorry, the second goal and the third goal. So it's, it's I'm not worried about him, but it was a bit uncharacteristic. And, but overall, does this kind of look like 
um, the the Frederick Anderson that you know that Leafs do need if they want a chance to win this uh, this series. I think so. I mean, like the, the other thing with Anderson is that he's he's shown sort of bounce back ability all year. Um, I thought he looked amazing, even within the game within the game, right? Like after the, after that bad second goal, where he I don't know what the hell happened. It like looked like he thought it flipped up or it was in his sweater. And yeah, that was so down. weird. But. Even after that, like, he shook it right off, and he was amazing from that point on until that overtime goal. So, I'm, but like in, in the bigger picture, like going to game two, I think I was looking at this before the uh, the Penguins game that they clinched in, and he he was coming off that Tampa Bay game where he wasn't great, and I looked it up, and I think he was ten two and one at that time uh, in games where he let in three or more, like in, in the following game with a nine forty save percentage. So. All year, he's sort of bounced back from these these type of performances. So I wouldn't be worried at all going forward. I want to ask you about um, a couple of the stars, obviously, the Leafs have on their team. And, and what about their in, in individual plays here? Matthews, Marner, and Lena, Nylander. I mean, obviously, Marner gets that goal. Also, Kadri had a, a you know a net, front, net front presence on that really odd goal that the refs you know waved off at first. But what did you think of individual individually how Matthews, how Marner, how Nylander affected the game? I thought Marner was incredible. I thought he was their best player. And that's coming off, that's coming from a player who, honestly, I think there was a little bit of concern that he was hitting a rookie wall in kind of the last five or 10 games. I mean, he had strep throat in March, but he was definitely not himself. He still had his flash if he's too skilled not to. But what we saw last night was like, I don't know if you saw that that, that first shift he obviously scored, but the uh, on, that, on that second goal, they were able to come. They, the Kadri line was able to come over the boards against the Ovechkin unit with them dead tired because Marner had just run them ragged for about. Mm-hmm. 30, he looked like a man alive. Seconds. It was unreal. He was all over the ice on that shift. So that's a really big positive. And if, if Marner's line, along with Bozak and JVR, I don't know if you saw Bozak was finishing hits all night. He, I guess, playoffs do crazy things to people, but he had like eight <laughs> hits last yeah. night. And like, if that line is can keep that up that's a big matchup dilemma for for the washington capitals going forward in the series mm-hmm. and i thought the other the other youngsters you mentioned like i thought willie was good early uh and he had four shots on goal in the first period alone um but i thought the caps kind of got a handle on him as the game went on a little bit and i thought he passed up some shooting opportunities him and matthews both and there is that said like matthews i thought in the, in, the, in late in that third period i don't know if you saw it the puck kind of hopped on him when he was right in front in the in the low slot and kind of his office down there. And I thought he was a couple times just a bounce away from being a hero in that game. So, you know, it's a definitely a really quiet game for both kind of Matthew, the two superstars, Matthews and, and Ovechkin, but that probably won't last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just about to make that point. I didn't really see much from Matthews, but uh, I thought Marner was probably the best player in that game. Um, I want to talk about the fact, obviously, overall that the Leafs blew the 2 nothing lead. But it just it didn't feel to me like they kind of, you know, just sat back and they made a bunch of mistakes. Like it didn't feel like they just gave it away. I think it was just a matter of time really for the Capitals to tie that game. What did you think were some of the reasons why it went back to two two at the end of regulation? Yeah, at least they're giving up a ton of two goal leads this year and they're all sort of a different story. They're all in their own context, right? And I didn't you're I think you're right. I don't think they were I don't think they crap the pants with a lead or anything like that's kind of the easy narrative to string together with a young team right is that they just sort of parked the bus or they they don't know how to defend with it I, I don't think that was really the case like that there was a five on three that they defended actually really well until it's sort of a fluky broken play 
And then Anderson just lets in a bad goal that, I mean, the Leafs were loose on, on Niskanen in the slot there on that bad goal that trickled through Anderson. But if that stopped, I think in the middle, they were in the middle of the second period there where they hadn't given up a shot in what felt like eight or nine minutes. So, I mean, I thought the, the Capitals sort of started to respect them more and the Leafs as the game wore on didn't really generate a whole lot. But I, I don't think it was one of the, a case where the Leafs really kind of collapsed or didn't really continue to play this type of game that led to success in the first place. I thought they were fine that way. And I think that their speed and skill, I think, is encouraging just in terms of how I think they're going to give guys like Osner and Orbic trouble uh, throughout this series. So I think there's a lot, a lot to like. I thought they, they, they were prepared. I didn't think they were intimidated. The problem is, is that, and and they should take a lot of confidence in being able to play with them. Right. But the problem with giving up a two, nothing lead inside when, when you, when you, build it inside 10 minutes that you don't get a lot of those against Washington. So if, if, if you listen to the post game reports, like Babcock is pretty encouraged and Trotz is pretty disappointed. So I don't know how you mm-hmm. want to look at that. Either the Cavs have another level to find, which they probably do. And we're going to have to find out if the Leafs can match it. So looking at the series overall though, and what you've seen from game one, does it look like the Leafs can make this a series? Does it look like they even have a chance in it as well? Because all we were hearing, you know, the past week is that it was a huge mismatch and that the Caps were 70 to 30 odds. And, I mean, what do you think going forward does this mean? The first game, you know, they lose, but they still look good. I I think they can stretch this into a, into a series. I always I always thought that, though. The, the big concern is that they, last night they had, like, I think Hunwick is at 26 minutes and Polak is at 24. And I've loved Polak. I think he's playing out of his mind down the stretch. And I'm not a guy who's a big Polak fan. But Zaitsev's concussion situation looks like it's pretty serious. He didn't practice again today. He's not going to play tomorrow. He's already been ruled out. And I don't know if you saw that hit against Columbus, but he looked awful. Like, I've never seen a mm-hmm. – like, you didn't, you didn't have to be a, a trained spotter in the crowd to figure out that he was concussed. Yeah. And, I mean, can the Leafs – keep up with a four-line of deep four-line attack like the Capitals over a seven-game series with Unwick and Polak playing 25 minutes a night, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, that said, I think the, I think the, the, the Leafs gave them something to think about last night. I think they should save, save some confidence going forward from it. And as long as Anderson does bounce back, which I expect will happen, then I don't see any reason why these can't at least be tight-checking games all the way through, and hopefully the Leafs can grab one or two along the way. I think that's Ultimately, all the Leafs fans are hoping for. I think they're just kind of playing with house money at this point. And yeah. if they can keep this series tight, it's a big win just in terms of learning how the playoffs work and what it takes to kind of play against the best and compete. So looking at a series win, though, if you were to rank it on a scale of 1 to 10, how much is tomorrow a must win? Oh, Babcock didn't really beat around the bush about that. I don't know if you heard him. We have to leave Washington 1-1. Because if, if, if they start, if the Capitals just start rolling... We're, there's no way we're going to be able to fight. We're going to be, going to be fighting upstream and it's over. And, I mean, I think the Leafs can go home and get one at home. But if they're if the Capitals would only need to come to Toronto and split and then they're going back to Washington, it's probably over. So, I, I don't know. Everyone talks about, well, game one's the biggest game. No, it's game two. No, it's game three. But if you go down one nothing and the way the Leafs kind of lost that game, it was in their grasp, and they now go and lose and go back to Toronto 2-0 down, I think it's pretty much over at that point. Mm-hmm. So last thing right here, I, I want to get your predictions for Game 2. And I know it's such a, a trivial thing to do, but what do you think is going to happen in Game 2? 
I think the I think the Leafs will actually win that game. Uh, I think Matthews is going to impact this series some point soon. Um, I didn't love I didn't love that line as the game wore on, but I think him and Willie looked and Marner looked really good for kids in the playoffs. And I think the Capitals are honestly I think they're going to run into some troubles with matchups. As long, like as I said with that Marner line. I think that Leafs can score goals against this team, and I think they've they've shown that they can solve Holtby. I don't know if you saw. I tweeted out that they put seven passes in the regular season and chased them twice. They beat them twice early in this game. He definitely settled in, but I think they're confident they can score against this team, which is, you know, a pretty good omen for making the series out of it at least. Yeah, it's funny when I was uh, I was you know searching through YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, whatever the the online world for clips for that video that I was making for Maple Leaf Hot Stove. And I just had no problem finding goals. <laughs> I had no problem finding uh, an array of different plays because the games that the uh, Leafs and uh, Caps played, was it three or four? They, they went, they played three this year and it was, the Leafs went one, one and one. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean it's just like, the, it was just... That I had no problem finding events and and goals. It was just an absolute. And I, I was getting so excited. I'm like, is this the way the the teams are going to play in the playoffs? Because it was. I mean, they were treated to a lot of high scoring and and high intensity games. Is that is it? You know, kind of was last night. Because to me, to be honest, honestly, watching that Boston Senate, Boston and Ottawa game, watching that Edmonton and San Jose game, even watching a couple other playoff games, honestly. Washington and Toronto actually, you know, kind of looked like they dialed it back a bit, and the tempo wasn't as high as some of the other playoff matchups. Yeah, I expect that that'll change. I mean, there, there's so much speed and skill up and down, up front at least, on both of these teams, and they've been high-scoring games. They were pretty high-scoring games in the regular season as well. Um, and if the Leafs can keep solving Holtby, and I guess if Anderson lets in the odd bad one then who knows how, how these games could get pretty out of control you can see that the kind of the explosive possibilities with these two offenses going head to head but last night i don't know if you saw last night like the, the caps are just such a hard team to match up against like shattenkirk did you see he put nine shots on goal last night no wow that's insane and he's technically like he's technically on their third pairing so <laughs> i mean it just, it's an embarrassment of riches over there and i think it's going to win out in the end for for washington but I was encouraged by last night, for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, well, we'll wrap it up there. And, uh, you know, I, we've got a, a day between game game one and two, so, uh, sorry, game two and three, so hopefully we can get back together to do another show. Uh, you know, thanks so much for calling in here, and uh, coming up we'll be talking with Graham Nichols from the Sixth Sense, all about game one from the Bruins and Sens, and what's to come in that series. Stick around for our final segment. All right, joining me now, Graham Nichols from the Sixth Sense to dissect all that happened in Game 1. Graham, how is your Friday treating you? I know you have a lot on the go right now. Uh, it's good. It's good. I really needed that extra day just to kind of like, you know, dwell over everything that happened on Wednesday night. But, uh, yeah, the extra yeah. day has been all right. Yeah, definitely <laughs> definitely a roller coaster of emotions um, all the way from, you know, the, before the game started to, to the end and now a couple days um, in advance right now. I, I want to get to the biggest storyline, you know, that was the inevitable collapse in the third period during Game 1. But... We'll work our way forward from the beginning. I mean, that that start in the first period, that might have been some of the best hockey I've seen overall, especially in the playoffs, too. The first five or ten minutes of that game, was that one of the most exciting starts to a hockey game you've seen in a while? 
Yeah, I thought it was really good. I, it was exciting. It was good to see Ottawa come out. I wasn't really sure. You know, it's new series. They, Ottawa was kind of playing this really tepid, passive style coming down the stretch, just trying to get pick up points wherever they could. And I was kind of worried. You know, Boston Boston was kind of banged up with injuries. Krejci wasn't playing. Uh, Brandon Carlo wasn't playing. And uh, Tori Krug. Krug wasn't playing as well. And, you know, like that was a team that I was kind of worried about Ottawa maybe – not pushing the envelope a bit and trying to take advantage of uh, of the absences of these key players, but Ottawa came out firing and they were playing really well, and then they got into penalty trouble and and it was great hockey. They had all this momentum, and then they just that undisciplined play just kind of caught up with them a little bit and kind of disrupted things. But uh, yeah, the first period was great, and uh, you know once the penalties lapsed, fortunately Ottawa killed all three of them, I believe, in the first period. So, um, yeah, like I, I was hoping that they carried that momentum in a period two, and I think they did. Yeah, you read my mind there. I mean, they, they shot themselves in a foot a couple of times, but uh, one of the things that was just so uh, outstanding from, and what we haven't really seen a lot, is that, you know, they overcame that and still kept pushing forward. Their play on even strength for the first 40 minutes was, and I honestly. I truly believe this is the best I've seen in a year and a half from them. Like that was, they were pushing the play like I've never seen before. The fourth line was was banging bodies. Zach Smith laid a huge hit on Z- Z- Zdeno Chair to get everyone going, and they just kept pushing forward and they just kept creating more offense. Was that one of the better you know forty minutes you've seen of even strength play? I mean, we could talk about that. They outshot them twelve nothing in the in the the second period. I mean, the Bruins could barely get anything. So obviously, it was a great even strength play. But was that one of the best you've seen in a long time from the center? Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably reminiscent of what we saw under Dave Cameron uh, during the Hamburglar run, right? Like, they were taking the two of them. They were out-chancing them. They were out-shooting them. Uh, they were doing everything right. Uh, they just couldn't get that one insurance goal just to kind of pad their lead. And that, that's that's probably, like, the only disappointment. They had a bunch of breaks, obviously. I, like, the, Ottawa got a little bit lucky as well, like, on the on the penalty kills and stuff. Like, Boston had a few chances. Yeah, to, like, hit a couple posts. Ma- yeah, make a game of it as well. And Craig Anderson bailed them out, and the post bailed them out, as we said. And, uh, yeah, but, like, they had the opportunities. They just kind of they, – they were just missing that one balance that could just give them that little bit of insulation. So, yeah, it, it was good. It was good hockey, and then the third period happened. And, yeah, I don't know if you want to end the interview now, but – Oh, my God, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. probably going to delve into the negative a little bit, but – Yeah, no, well, we have to get to that right now. We'll, we'll talk about a couple other players and, and what's going to happen into game, game two in a couple minutes, but – that third period, I mean, I, I remember uh, in the intermission, everyone was just on a high, and they were just, I mean, you saw that, that tweet from the Sens saying, you know, oh, is this good for analytics? We just shot them, tw- outshot them 12 nothing, And I just kept saying, like, it's a one nothing lead, and yep. we know how Guy Boucher's teams play in the third period. This is not a, a, a done game already. In fact, I, and I told a couple of people, and I, I, I have references, I can show you the texts. I said they're going to nurse, try and nurse this thing home in the third period, and they're going to lose. And it and it happened exactly. I watched the first when they lined up for the faceoff. I could tell. I think it was Wingle's line, and they just they didn't look like they were fired up or ready to play at all. They came out in that third period, and they tried to play defense. And when you try and play defense, you lose, especially against the Boston Bruins. Yeah, yeah, bang on. It was it was eerily reminiscent of like Jacques Martin hockey from like the first few years when he took over, where the team wasn't necessarily that good yet. But, you know, once they got that lead, they just try and sit on it. And you, you hit the nail on the head. They play passive. Like, I don't know how many chances Ottawa would finally get the puck out of their own end, hit the red line, and just softly dump it in. But there wasn't any puck pursuit. The guys would just change. Uh, there were lots of quick changes in the third period. And it was just, 
it's like they didn't want to engage. They just, you know, they've dumped the puck down in the Boston zone and then retreat to the blue line and the red line to set up a defense. And it was such a passive, boring, boring style. Like, here you are. Uh, Colin Miller gets hurt. I think he played seven minutes in that yeah, game. You've you got them on the ropes, exactly. Out. You have two defensemen out who, who are huge cogs on that blue line as well. This is a vulnerable team. They're going to make mistakes in their own end. They have Charlie McAvoy as a rookie playing significant minutes. Like this is a team that can be really susceptible to making mistakes, moving the puck out, and Ottawa just what for whatever reason were content to sit on a one nothing lead, and it was brutal. It was absolutely painstakingly brutal to watch. And and you're right, it's like they telegraphed that the, the ending of that game, and you knew how it was going to unfold. And it was just you know like sitting there, you're just like you you could see it happening. It was just horrible to watch horrible horrible hockey to watch yeah and in your mind how much do do the players have to take on this and how much does Guy Boucher have to uh, take on this because when we heard his uh, Guy Boucher's comments after the game the day after he said we came out in the third period and we were passive and and there's he's saying all the things that we were saying but isn't that his job to get them going and say what are you doing keep pushing keep pushing forward because in that first and second period one of the best things that they were doing was the their forecheck it was absolutely relentless and you could tell the Boston Bruins defense had no idea where they were going they couldn't make first passes and when they came out in the third period it was so, so 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 eerily, you know, Dave Cameron uh, protecting in the in the regular season th- third period. It was so Guy Boucher third period protecting in the regular season. It was just so so inevitable, and it's I, I have no idea how you do that, especially in a playoff game. But doesn't it, you know, looking at the overall picture, doesn't it kind of see uh, seem like? And we we could talk about the fact that I believe uh, I think Ian Mendez pointed this out on the drive the other day that they've only ever won two playoff series when losing the first game, and that, those were in the days of the outstanding Senators teams um, of, of Hosa and Havlet and, and, um, and what have you. Um, but doesn't this feel like it's a complete uh, wasted opportunity and that it's if you can't get it back after this game, it's all downhill from here? It's To go back to your first point, I think it, whether or not you put the onus on the coaching staff or the players, I think the players fall into that system. Like They're, they're playing yeah, exactly. the style. Like. If that's what the coaching staff is dr- drilling into them, it's hard. It's hard to fault the players for not like gambling or taking chances, or you know, if they if they have a one-on-one opportunity, they just play conservatively. You know, I, like if if Guy Boucher is not happy with the way his team's playing in the third period with a one nothing lead, take a timeout, regroup your guys. Like if that's not the way that you want them playing, make a statement. You have a timeout, use it. Don't wait until the later stages of the game when the game might be tied. Like yeah, do something with it or give them the, read them the ride act during a TV timeout. Like you have one of those as well. So, you know, like it, it's frustrating in that sense because if, if Boucher saw this happening, you know, I, I wish, I wish he could have corrected and made the adjustments mm-hmm. and, you know, like light a fire under his players a little bit, or maybe they were playing passes and uh, they just took the coaching staff along for the ride. I, yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to fault. But I mean, your job as a coach is to motivate and get them to play the style that you want. And you know, as, as players, it's your responsibility to respond to that. But like, like we said earlier, like that was a vulnerable Bruins team. And health, I guess, uh, Krejci wasn't skating as well this morning, and uh, Colin Miller was back. But if, if Boston starts getting healthier as the season as the series goes on, it doesn't really bode well in Ottawa's favor. So. If Ottawa's going to make a series of this, they have to win one of the first two games, and they blew an excellent opportunity to take one in the first game. Well, and, you know, if Ottawa comes out strong in the second game, then, hey, you might be cursing them for not having a 2 nothing lead right now. Yeah, I mean, especially going back to Boston, 
Um, I mean, the Senators have essentially given away home ice advantage. But if you go back, if you go down to Boston and it's you're down two nothing, it's basically over. Now I want to get to a couple of individual players here. How far away from 150% do you think Eric Carlson was in Game One? Yeah, you know, there were fleeting moments. Like, it's weird. I was looking at his ice time over the course of the game just to kind of like get a feel for what my eyes were saying versus what was actually happening. And it, it seemed like he wasn't on the ice that much as the game got further and further along. But it was it was the opposite effect. Like his ice time per period went up, and it was just it was to me it was a little bit bizarre because my eyes were misleading me. So. He, he didn't have the same impact, obviously. Like, he's an excellent player, and, you know, we take that for granted at times when he's not at his best, and you're like, wow, what the hell was wrong with Carlson tonight? But uh, there there were moments where he'd skate from, you know, his own goal line to to the red line, make a nice pass, and Ottawa would get his own entry out of it. And you're like, okay, okay. And then it's it's just frustrating because you expect a little bit more, and if he's not if he's not 100% healthy, and if he's not at the top of his game, like Ottawa, Ottawa – was a bubble team that got in on the last week of the regular season anyway, with Carlson at his best for the most of the season. So their margin for error is really small, and if he's not at his best, they're not going to go very far. That's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, I was noticing a couple things. Um, one of them was that, you know, 2-5, and five, Cody Ceci and, um, and Dion Phaneuf would come out, and they'd play a regular shift, and Ottawa would draw a penalty to make... or sorry, on the, on the penalty kill, and they'd draw a penalty to make it 4-4, four and four, and... Freddie Clayson and Chris Wyburn would come out for the four and four, and, and Eric Carlson would be sitting on the bench. So, I, I, he, did, he, is, did he play? You said twenty four minutes, I believe. Yeah, like a, was, around yeah. then. Yeah, and uh, for me, like that's kind of odd for especially a playoff game when you're, you know, uh, trying to, you know, you're you're tied one one in the third period where you, obviously he played a lot more. But I have no, I I don't understand how he didn't couldn't play twenty eight minutes if he's one hundred fifty percent. So maybe that's mind games from Guy Boucher. Um, especially with you know Mark Mathot taking the warm up and and all these different things. But at, going forward, if Mark Mathot isn't healthy going into game two, and I, I mean, since the the you know the final buzzer in game one, we've been hearing so many people say you know we maybe Ben and Harper should get in there. But Freddie Clayson wasn't great. I thought Freddie Clayson was actually really good in game one. He messed up a couple times at the blue line uh, with the puck in that you know he flubbed on a rolling puck that happens sometimes. But overall, what did you think of his play? Because I thought he's not a very physical player, and he's never going to be that guy that just destroys people like Mark Borowiecki. But I thought for his first playoff game, a guy that's only had uh, really you know a handful of games under his belt in the NHL, maybe 50 or, or, or 40 or 50 games in the NHL, that was a really good first postseason game for Freddie Clayson. For sure. I, like You're right. Like he had, I think he had like two or three giveaways on the night. Um, but you're right, like first game jitters, uh, maybe you attribute to that, maybe you attribute to the pressure. Like Boston's not a bad team either, so you don't want to take anything away from what they're for is due to Ottawa as well. So yeah, Clayson's one of those guys who just doesn't doesn't do anything exceptionally well, but he does a lot of things pretty good, or at least above average. So like, he can give you decent minutes, and I think if you look at Ottawa's left defense situation, like Mark Borowiecki is a hitter. He's a banger. That's that's what he brings to the table. He's not going to give you much else, but he's going to give you everything he has over the course of his, you know, like 12 to 16 minutes a night. And then on the left side, Phaneuf is going to eat up 20 minutes alongside Cody Ceci. Uh, you're probably going to not like a lot of those minutes, but, uh, you know, that's just the reality of Ottawa's situation. He's not coming out of the lineup anytime soon. So if, if Mathot's not healthy uh, and if he can't shoot the puck, I think that was the quote from Boucher this morning, like if he can't shoot if he can be counted on to get rid of the puck when he's under duress in a big moment, he's not going to play. 
Um, so I would love to see uh, Clayson remain in the lineup uh, at the expense of Borovieski. Uh, whether or not you bring in Harper to, you know, fill fill another void, I don't know. I haven't seen enough of Ben Harper to really make a, a, a significant judge of uh, exactly, yeah. whether or not he deserves to be in. But uh, from what I've seen of Harper so far, he looked competent uh, and certainly replacement level to what we've seen from some of the guys on Ottawa's bottom pairing this year. Mm-hmm. A couple of final points here. Um, one of the biggest storylines for you know the Ottawa media and the, the fan base going on here is you know, you lose game one and everyone wants to jump to conclusions and make a couple changes. In my mind, they should stay packed, maybe get Dezingle into the lineup. But other than that, it I, I don't understand why you want to change a lineup that played that well for 40 minutes. What are some of the changes or not non-changes that you want to see going into game two uh, with regards to the lineup and combinations, what have you, with the roster? Uh, just in terms of, like... I felt bad for Dezingle all year. Uh, well, especially in the second half. Like his production obviously waned, but he was doing a lot of things very well on the ice. He brings a couple of uh, dynamics that the team just doesn't seem to have, uh, especially in its bottom six. Uh, I kind of feel for like Zach Smith right now. Like ever since Clark MacArthur's return, he's kind of been marginalized. He's been put in a fourth line center role. Obviously, that keeps Chris Kelly out of the lineup, which is fantastic. But uh, he doesn't really have a ton to work with on his wings as well. Um, Hey, I, I wish I wish Jean Gabriel Pajot had a little bit more help. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of playing Tom Pyatt third line minutes. Like I think Pyatt had like 17 something minutes last last game, and he played quite a bit in the third period. Yeah, just another um, game. <laughs> but uh, like uh, he's a guy who I wish would play in a fourth line capacity, and he's just a foot soldier, and he's a healthy body, and and that's that. Like I think Ottawa has enough talent to to put him on the fourth line, and and you know let him. Let him soak up those kind of like bottom feeding minutes where he's not really going to hurt the team that much. But I find him to be a bit of an anchor. Uh, whether or not you want to put Stone on a line with Hoffman or Paggio remains to be seen. But uh, we'll see what Boucher has up his sleeve. But uh, aside from that, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, trying to think of the other suggestion I had. Stalberg. Stalberg's obviously hurt i'm assuming because he didn't take his line rushes this morning yeah i but, wonder if uh, that's like when i looked at that i thought it was kind of that maybe boucher kind of just wants to zingle and kelly to be at the ready so he you know put them into regular line rushes to keep them warm and stuff for for playoffs because right. I, I don't i don't understand why you would want i thought wingles and stalberg were actually two of the more impressive forwards uh that night so i don't think they're coming out and, and bruce garriock who seems to be right on nearly every you know suggestion and, and, and thing that's changing within the organization said that he doesn't think that Wingles and Stahlberg would come out. So I don't think they're coming out. Um, but I, I saw that just as, you know, Kelly and, and Dezingle, they are our two next guys that could come into the lineup if we, if we get into trouble, if we want to make some changes. Um, but other than that, like, I wouldn't change anything. And you know what? Like, watching Zach Smith in the first two periods last night, I thought, I mean, I'm in love with playoff Zach Smith. He is one of the guys that is just relentless on everything he does, but can also, you know, score big goals for you. So, I mean, I think the forward core in my opinion, was uh, fantastic in that game, and I wouldn't make many changes. Now, uh, I, I want to touch the you know, final on Bobby Ryan, and I don't think he's had a game like that, and I honestly don't think that it was a phenomenal game. I thought it was a really good game. That goal, obviously, is so important for Ottawa, and it was an, a fantastic goal, a power move by a guy that hasn't really made many power moves uh, this season. But what did you think of his game? Because I thought that... Although, you know, everyone's saying that this is with his best game as a center and that it was a, one of the best games the forwards play on the, on the team as well, I, I thought it was a pretty good game, but there were a lot of good signs from Bobby Ryan in game one. Yeah, yeah, bang on, bang on. I pretty much agree with everything you said. I don't think it was one of his best games that he's had within the organization. Um, just in terms of, like, 
being aggressive and, and going hard with like in one-on-one plays with the puck, like he was battling and, and he was trying to make plays. And I don't think if you looked at Ottawa's lineup, you know, up and down, I don't know how many guys you could actually say that of uh, once you got past like the halfway mark of the second period, like how many guys on Ottawa's roster were, were out there trying to create and do stuff mm-hmm. aside from Ryan late in the game. Like, I don't know. It, it was pretty barren. Um, they need that from him though. And, you know, for a guy who's, Really, I think you can make the argument, a reasonable argument, that Bobby Ryan's only playing top six minutes because of the price tag and oh, yeah, uh, what, what the Senators had to give up to get him uh, into the fold. Like That guy does not warrant top six ice time based off his uh, performance and production this season, which is sad to say because he's, he's a relatively likable guy. Um, but in terms of what he brings to the table, they need more of that, and they haven't gotten that enough consistently. So. You know, hopefully, hopefully that's a sign of things to come. If he can put together a nice postseason for himself and hopefully carry that kind of momentum and, and optimism into the next season, that'd be great. Uh, if not, if not for Ottawa's purposes, maybe that can raise his trade value across the league. Although, granted, it's going to be hard to do that with that kind of contract. But he's uh, Ottawa needs that from him. And to this point, they just haven't gotten enough of it. They haven't had enough bang for the buck with this guy. And uh, yeah, it's just. <laughs> It's it's one of those situations where you need him to produce so he can leave town, unfortunately, which is the sad reality of his situation. Mm-hmm. I, I, hate know, say, I hate saying that, but that's just that's just the way it is. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, one of the things that I think was, uh, just to finish up here on, on Bobby Ryan, is that one of the things he was doing so well, and one of the things that Ottawa needs to help him out with, his line mates, is that he needs to be the guy that has the puck on the rush, I think, because his board work, he's not overly strong. He's not quick. He's not quick with decisions. He doesn't have the puck handling skills he has anymore. But when he's on the rush, he's really good. And we saw that, obviously, on his goal. Um, And he was the creator on a couple of two-on-ones and a couple of three-on-twos, four-on-threes, whatever have you. Um, When you get him going, when you push him down the hill and get him started, I think that's when he's really good. Um, If I had to put you on the spot, though, and this is just to finish up here, what's your prediction for game two? Um, You know, whether it's the score or if Ottawa loses, wins, what are they going into? What's the series when they go to Boston? I think they need some killer instinct. Um, Obviously, if they get down early, that's going to work to that disadvantage. But eh, Ottawa needs to play hungry. They They need to get a couple goals early, build that confidence, show that they can uh, score and, and just get a little optimism going. And then if they do get that lead, they need to play a little bit more aggressively with it. They need to like keep pressuring Boston. Boston's a vulnerable, vulnerable team, but at the same time, it's like, I'm, I'm kind of worried about where Ottawa is because if Ottawa can't beat a banged up Boston, that's missing its second line center and two of its top three defensemen. What is Ottawa right now? Because they're a relatively healthy group. We heard Peridorian talk about that going into the postseason. This is the first time the team's been healthy in two years. And if you can't dispatch the Boston Bruins in the first round under these circumstances, how good is this Ottawa team? Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Graham, for coming on. Uh, I know you're pretty busy today with a lot of different things, but uh, hopefully we'll get your take maybe later on in the series. Um, And again, thank you so much for coming on here. Hey, thanks for having me on and uh, talk to you soon. All right, that'll just about do it for us here at the Battle of Ontario. Definitely won't be our last playoff edition this spring, so stay tuned on Silver 7, Maple Leaf Hot Stove, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I've been Callum Fraser, and you've been listening to the Battle of Ontario. We'll see you soon.